Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican Communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, Catholic, Evangelical, Ecumenical. You may have seen lately on our Covenant blog a series on preaching written by lay people. Yes, that's right, lay people giving pointers on preaching. It's really worth checking out. Go to our website, click Covenant, and then look for the tag Lay Voices on Preaching. There is a perspective and a variety of voices from the other side of the pew, and this is something that the church and its leaders always need. And one of the things that we love to do here at The Living Church is to draw together substantive reflection from people all across the communion, but also from folks lay and ordained as contributors to today's important conversations. Maybe we should start a new series, Lay Voices on the Pandemic. What do things look like from the other side of the virtual pew? How are lay people thinking and reflecting deeply on ministry, worship, and its future? Today's episode comes to us from a parishioner in New York City. Her name is Pamela Lewis. She's a native New Yorker and a vestry member at St. Thomas Fifth Avenue. So they're right in the thick of the pandemic and finding ways to worship and serve in the midst. And Pamela has been a language teacher, German, French, English for many years, an associate of the Community of the Holy Spirit, and a prolific writer for Episcopal Publications. And Pamela wrote to us because in the current pandemic, she has found new poignancy in Jesus' words to Mary Magdalene in the garden, spoken after his resurrection, Noli me tangere, touch me not. Here she reads the essay that she wrote for us and then reflects from a lay leader's perspective on her own experience of this new time, the meaning of going back to normal and what next steps for the church and society might look like.
Touch is one of our most powerful senses, connecting us with our environment as well as with other human beings and creatures. Much of the world would be meaningless were it not possible for us to experience it through our sense of touch and human relationships partly built and nurtured by touch would feel incomplete without it. It is not entirely metaphorical when we speak of the human touch, suggesting as it does that touch transmits something significant from giver to recipient. There are, however, prohibitions to touching. We probably recall when, as children, we were warned by adults, don't touch, when we extended a hand to touch something that was too hot, too breakable, or too dirty. We see please don't touch signs in museums requesting that we refrain from placing our hands on ancient or delicate objects, lest they be damaged. Now, in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, we are instructed to not touch. To not touch our faces, eyes, noses, even one another. In the Gospel of John, we also find an admonition against touching. The author writes that Mary Magdalene, who has gone to Jesus' tomb on the first day of the week, finds that the stone that had sealed it has been removed. Instead of Jesus' body, two angels are in the tomb, weeping and distressed at the thought that the body has been stolen. Mary looks up and finds herself in the presence of a man she takes to be the gardener and to whom she explains the reason for her distress. When Jesus calls her by name, Mary instinctively reaches out to touch him, calling him Rabboni, which means teacher. Touch me not, Jesus tells her, for I am not yet ascended to my father. The Latin version of this phrase, noli me tangere, became a popular trope in Gregorian chant and it inspired many depictions of the garden scene in Christian art from antiquity to the present. John's Gospel is the only one in which this exchange between Jesus and Mary appears. I long have been intrigued and mystified by this poignant scene, which appears to contradict everything the Gospel accounts have said about Jesus. The one who had not only physically touched and healed lepers and other marginalized people, but also touched so many through his teachings, now was asking the woman out of whom he had cast seven devils, the one who now needed so much to touch him again, not to touch him. We can only imagine Mary's extreme heartbreak and confusion at her beloved teacher's denying her an action she once could do freely. 
This year's Lent and Easter were different in that the pandemic changed our understanding of the gospel narratives and even the words that constitute them. The word touch is an example of this. We have heard and read the gospel accounts and words countless times, but perhaps did so more profoundly this time because they have become more urgently personal. While the gospel says Christ's instruction to Mary to not touch him was meant to explain that his resurrection was yet to be completed, we can understand these words to signify that we are yet to be healed, yet to be safe. While a hug, a handshake, a grasp of the arm may have been impulsive actions, we now must observe physical distancing, staying at least six feet apart, wearing masks and perhaps gloves, as though we are wearing an invisible sign that reads, Noli me tangere. The virus has imposed a touch-me-not prohibition even on those who have died from it, robbing loved ones of a last embrace and families of the opportunity to gather for funerals. When churches received the directive to close their doors for public worship, I realized that we had stepped into that proverbial uncharted territory. Normally, my church, St. Thomas Fifth Avenue in New York, is open daily, offering 19 services weekly. Its location means that it serves as a place for those who wish to reflect, pray, and find respite from the city's ceaseless activity. Like thousands of other churches, we have live-streamed our services via webcast and video. The creativity and innovative spirit of our clergy and staff in keeping church in these ways despite the building's closure, have been impressive. Zoom has made it possible for us to hold vestry meetings, our adult education classes, and our Sunday school, as well as well-attended and lively fellowship gatherings. Despite the power and beauty of the virtual Lent and Holy Week liturgies, and the successful Zoom meetings and gatherings, they all remain substitutes for the real thing. I miss the tangibility of being in church, listening to the organ prelude before the service begins, joining my voice with others in singing hymns, smelling the incense that always makes me cough a little, eating and drinking the body and blood, shaking a hand, seeing and speaking with my fellow parishioners. Priests also have reservations about virtual worship. A clergy friend recently told me of his concerns on what community and communion will be once the pandemic subsides. He also is worried about those without internet access. Will we as a church become so reliant on remote worship that traditional worship will fade into obsolescence?
I hear a lot of talk about going back to normal, about the wish to return to the pre-pandemic life we all miss. Certainly, I want to see people return to work, want the life of our city and nation to resume. Most importantly, I want everyone to be healthy and free from the threat of infection. But we will need to revise the definition of normal. Bible scholars have suggested that noli mitangere actually means do not cling to me or do not hold on to me. Jesus' death and resurrection changed everything. What had been normal was no more. This also was true of the relationship between Jesus and his followers, including Mary Magdalene. The old, normal ways of touching gave way to a spirit-to-spirit bond. The pandemic has uncovered a range of the often harmful ways in which we touch our planet and its various life forms, in how we touch, or do not, the poor and minorities, and in how the touch of our politics and policies can create inequities. We have known about and tolerated these touches for a long time and allowed them to become the normal and permanent features on our landscapes. Those old norms are telling us, do not cling to me. It will be difficult to release our tight grasp of them, but the future of humanity will depend on our doing this, and on whether the touches of the future normal will be better than the ones we must leave behind. In mere months, we, as in all, not just some, have moved from one state of being to another from a pre-pandemic state to the pandemic state itself. I am particularly struck to hear what we are going through being described as the pandemic era, a word that connotes a longer stretch of time in history encompassing decades rather than a period of only about five months. Upended, turned upside down, and uncharted territory are other words and phrases used to convey how it feels to live during these days. They reflect the sense of confusion, fear, and upheaval that besets the entire global community. There is one commenter who has, accurately, I believe, observed that we are experiencing grief which, of course, we are, as thousands of people are indeed grieving for lost loved ones, but we are also grieving for jobs suddenly lost, for a once robust economy, for routines and ways of life that have been interrupted, for hopes and plans that may never be realized, and for the loss of human touch. Unable now to go where we once went freely, 
a restaurant, the museum, our house of worship, we are restricted to our homes and immediate neighborhoods. Like that of many other people, my world has become smaller, limited to the occasional trip to the market or a 15-minute walk around my area and then back home. I attend church meetings via Zoom and visit the museum through virtual tours. I also visit with some of my friends and relatives by way of Zoom or FaceTime. I plan to take a course, again by Zoom. Frequent hand-washing, observing social distancing from others of at least six feet, and wearing a mask and perhaps gloves constitute the new normal. I understand the need for these mitigations, but I don't like them. However, there has been a growing call for a return to normal, inasmuch as normal can be understood to mean customary, usual, or habitual. A return to normal will mean different things to different people. But the overarching understanding of returning to normal will largely mean going back to the way things used to be before the pandemic arrived and changed everything. We all want to return to normal to pick up from where we had left off, yet we're discovering that this may not be altogether feasible, nor even desirable. Whereas it had been normal to enter into and stand in a crowded train, that will have to change. Whereas teachers stood in front of a classroom of students to give instruction, will now yield to greater use of remote learning. The tactile aspects of worship may need to be supplanted by hands-free ways of experiencing communion and community, and the observance of social distancing may have to be adopted in houses of worship in order to ensure that congregants can worship safely. And we may have to keep wearing those masks in public a little while longer. But more importantly, we are slowly confronting the deep and wide social inequities the pandemic has laid bare, looking into the faces of myriad faceless members of communities who often comprise those performing some of the most labor-intensive and hazardous work, and who are now seen to be essential workers. And we are acknowledging that those we might deem as the lesser in our world have been overlooked and unprotected. This truth has been tugging at our sleeve for a very long time, but now our sleeve has been torn off. This is a time of being in extremis. Some have likened it to a prolonged Good Friday even for those of us who feel safe, well, and comfortable. There is no question that the present situation is not normal, not with the numbers of people infected by the virus and the staggering, unthinkable numbers of those who have died, 
not with the numbers of unemployed and with the global economy threatened by a depression. We are now more than well acquainted with what is not normal. Yet, however normal it is to want to return to normal, to what is familiar, a return to normal does not necessarily mean a return to the good. Therefore, it is perhaps this space that is so dreadfully not normal that can be our opportunity to review what the former normal looked like, to engage in an honest and thorough re-evaluation of that pre-pandemic existence, and to try to imagine and construct a better post-pandemic normal. If returning to normal will mean that conditions in nursing homes will not improve, that our healthcare system will not improve, that the lesser will still be the lesser, then we will have learned nothing. The return to normal will require asking ourselves, how will we live after the pandemic? How will we need to live after the pandemic? We will need to live as if we truly believe that everyone deserves to live and deserves to be respected. The occasions of people reaching out to help others in various ways, of creating new ways of engaging with others, are hopeful indicators that it is possible to do things differently and to create a normal that is good. The words Noli Me Tangere, spoken by Christ to Mary Magdalene, signify releasing one kind of existence because a new one is being established. Old norms are yielding to something new, although that something new is not yet in clear focus. But one thing is certain, and that the normal we had once known and lived has probably passed away. Eventually, we will return to some of the places and activities we knew and enjoyed, but some of their features will be different. Others may be gone forever, and we will have to come to terms with that. For our sakes, we too will need to be different. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can find a link in the show notes that will allow you to give so we can continue to make these episodes. Look for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts these days. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, our website, livingchurch.org, or on our award-winning blog, Covenant, at livingchurch.org forward slash covenant. I'm Amber Noel, your host and I've been glad to be with you. Peace.